right, let's bow in prayer as we get ready to open in Genesis. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us, that you do love us so much, that you protect and you honor and you help us through all of our problems. And we just ask you to help us to see that in all the times that we walk. And as we look at this message today, that you will lead and guide in that as well. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today will be our last message on the flood. <laughs> then we'll go to the post-flood. Uh, Genesis chapter 8. And the Lord remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The, the fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off of the earth continually. And after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested on the seventh month of the seventh day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month, and in the tenth month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountain seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the windows of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went forth, and forth to and fro until the waters were dried up upon, upon, off the face of the earth. And he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the earth, but the dove found no, rest, no place for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him unto the ark, of the, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her back into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days. And again he sent out forth a dove of, out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from the earth. And he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth a dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the 601st year of the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from off the land. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh day, or the 27th day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spoke unto Noah, saying, Go forth out of the ark, and you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives. We're going to stop there. So we've been looking at this story, and the reason... I'm really putting time in this because there's three main stories in the, in the scriptures that people have problems with. And two of them happen to be in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Okay, if you're witnessing to people and you talk to people, usually you will hear of the three problems they have with the Bible. The first one is creation. <laughs> okay, God says he created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. What does the world tell us? We've had millions and millions of years of random ch chances to get to where we are today. And everybody knows that if you break a watch, and take all the pieces of a watch and shake it up long enough, it'll become a watch, right? <laughs> you know, it just makes a lot of sense. You know? <laughs> um, you know, and a watch isn't all that complicated compared to, to life. Uh, you know, even if you took the pieces of a building and dumped them off a, off a cliff, you're not going to come up with a building. You could do that as many times as you want, but you're never going to come up with a building. You're going to come up with a pile of junk every single time. Yep. Uh, and the other story that is really bother, that bothers people is the whole Noah's flood with a global flood, which is why I'm putting so much effort into helping us understand. I don't expect you to remember everything I've told you about the flood, everything I've told you about the creation story, but at least when you're talking to somebody and going, you know what, there are proofs for these and I can go find them if you, if you need me to. And the other story, of course, that everybody has problems with is the resurrection. And most people don't seem to have any problem with the virgin birth. 
for some reason. It doesn't, it doesn't, that's not the one that usually comes up until you get into the detail with them. But it's the resurrection of Jesus, which is the other, other one. We've gone many services where we've gone through and showed you that the preponderance of truth of the of evidence on the, on the resurrection shows that it did happen. But those are the three stories, and I just want to make sure that we have a groundwork that when people come up and say, ah, you know, that's just a fairy tale. And anybody educated, that's what they're taught, that these are fairy tales. And you'll hear some such things as, well, there's no proof. Well, there's abundant proof if you go look at it. And so that's why I've been hitting some of the proofs. And today I want to make this a very practical message. I was leaning toward doing one more scientific-based one, but we're going to make this one more practical. And basically, it has to do with the song we sang, Through It All. The ark really represents Jesus saving humanity. And we're bringing this out in the New Testament, it's brought out that Jesus was our ark. He crucified so that we can enter into him and be protected. Does that mean bad things don't happen? No, we've talked about that often. Matter of fact, bad, happens are almost, bad things are almost guaranteed to happen in our life. Why? because God's trying to take us through the problems. The good news is he's with us in the middle of those problems. And just as the picture of the ark, when the problems are flooding in upon us, if we're hiding in Jesus, we're hiding in God, we float above the problems. That does not mean it's a smooth sailing trip. <laughs> okay, if anybody's ever been out on a boat, it's wonderful to be on a boat when there's very light waves and it's just barely rocking. But let the storm start blowing up and the waves start getting a little larger and you feel the really heavy uh, waves. Those aren't so much fun sometimes. Uh, unless you're on a really big, big boat that doesn't feel, the, feel, the, feel these things. But for the most part, you get bounced around. You get jarred around. When we are walking through this life, we're going to have problems. Anybody who tries to tell you that they've had no problems is lying. <laughs> Now, having said that, can your problems seem like they're no problems if you're in Christ? Yes, they can. The more we get used to the idea that he is in charge, that he is in control, the more we realize my ship is being sailed by the right person. Uh, if I tried to take the wheel of the ship, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be capsized. And we've all been there where we've taken the wheel of the, the ship in the middle of trials and had them go terribly wrong. Okay, and I know I've been there many times. God has worked on my heart, and I don't do it quite as much as I used to, but there's, I can remember making life miserable for myself, trying to fix all the problems. And God says that all things work together for good, and I think those times I took over were for my good. He finally taught me to quit, quit taking over, <laughs> for the most part. But it's, when you start letting him take over, and you, you're riding out the storm, it's really wonderful. My dad was in the Navy, and when we, when we were in Guam, they kept shipping the ship out. His ship stayed at the dock most of the time. Whenever a typhoon came in, they took the ship out to sea because it was easier for them to ride out the storm out at sea rather than let it beat against the dock and probably do damage. God will do the same thing to us if we let him. He takes us to the safe places where he is in control. For Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He's with us in everything. 
And again, the more we think about him being in charge, this is my great comfort when I'm going through. God, you're in charge. <laughs> Sometimes it may not seem like you know what you're doing, God, but you know what you're doing and you've got a plan. And you know what? There's not a problem telling God, God, it just I don't see your plan. As long as you have faith that he has a plan. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who called according to the purpose of God. Not necessarily for my good, not necessarily for things that are going to please me, but it's for good. It may be just simply for people looking at me and saying, you just walked through a, a really hard time and you didn't get devastated. Do you realize that's a big testimony to the world? When you let God control your life in the middle of a very hard problem and you don't get destroyed. Oftentimes I've wondered, how does the world get by without God? Over the years I've realized they don't. They get in their alcohol and drugs or you know, try, to, try to get into work. Many times, even nowadays, it involves suicide. They just decide everything's so bad, they're just going to end it. And they end up spending time in hell because they don't know God. We need to be able to trust in God in everything. God is sovereign. Noah understood that. God told him to build a boat. He built a boat. And, you know, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Can you imagine what it would be like in the middle of this plane building a big boat? <laughs> a boat that belongs near an ocean. And you're building a boat. Because God told you to. We all can picture what that would have been like. Uh, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat? God told me to. Well, why'd God tell you to? Because he's going to send rain. What's rain? Rain's the water falling from the sky. Uh, it's never rain. Well, you, are you, have you gone insane, Noah? What, what, what have you been drinking uh, out of your field? Uh, what, you know, what drugs are you using? <laughs> and we laugh about that, but this is exactly what goes on. And isn't this what happens sometimes when we witness to people? It says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. How many times have you shared the gospel with somebody... And a lot of times they're answering, oh, it can't be that easy. It can't be just I confess my sins and turn to God and he comes into my life. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I've got to be able to do something. And this is why so many of the cults and religions are so popular. Because their message is, well, yeah, Jesus is, you know, for some of them, Jesus is pretty good, but. Anytime you hear that but, it's the wrong message. You know, you know, but you need to go door to door, knocking on the doors and, you know, and giving the gospel. You've got to do more good. You've got to be better than, than all the rest of the people to earn heaven. That's the message of the cults. God's message is simple. Confess your sins. Confess that you're a sinner. Ask him to come into your heart and you indwell him. Doesn't that make life easy? And I've heard people go, well, that means you can do anything you want and still go to heaven. Well, theoretically you can, but if you are saved and you are a new creation, you are not going to want to do these things. You may still do them, and we will still do them, but the desire is not there. Paul said that I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> and again, the more we walk with God, the easier that walk will be. The more I walk with God, the more... The, the evil will be worked out of my life and the more I will become like him. 
And this is what we've shared. If you are still having the same problems and the same issues, you know, years after you became a Christian and you're not, and you're not being convicted for them, you need to look at, am I a Christian? Because it says, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. But that word believe is not the way we use it in English. Okay? Uh, I can believe all day that something is true. But if I won't act on it, then, I'm not, then I really don't believe it. I heard a, uh, Pastor Adrian Rogers, I listened to him on the morning going to work, and he was talking about this uh, millionaire friend of his who actually would not get on an airplane because even though he knew intellectually that a plane could fly, he didn't believe enough to make feet on it. And that was a great example of what it means to believe in Christ. Because James says, you believe in the devil, you do well. The devil, uh, you believe in, the, in God, you do well because the devils believe. They're not going to heaven because they're not going to bow their knees and can't probably at this point, but they would not anyway. It's very easy to believe in Jesus. Oh, I believe he existed. There's all kinds of historians that say that Jesus existed. The really crazy thing is when you meet somebody who says they don't even believe in Jesus. You know, it's like, okay, you need to do some study. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of proofs that Jesus existed outside the Bible. But you can believe in Jesus. You might even believe that you, it's possible that he rose from the dead and still not be saved. Because you really need to believe in your heart and put feet on what it is to believe. And this is the most important thing. Believe and it has an action. I can say I believe all day long that something works, but until I trust it. I love the idea of repelling off of, with a rope down a cliff. You can believe all day that that rope's going to hold, hold you and, and help you down that, down that steep uh, cliff. But until you put and say, I'm doing it, you're not really believing it. And I even believe me, I've done it. I've done the repelling, off, not off a cliff, but off a wall. And it's kind of scary to say, okay, I'm going to put all my weight... <laughs> on this rope and, and basically walk down this, uh, this wall. Okay. Might even be, I've never done it, I want to parachute someday, but it's probably the same thing. The idea of I'm going to jump out of this plane and this little, little bit of cloth above me is going to keep me from crashing, to the, crashing down onto the earth. You can believe all day that it's going to do it. You can say scientifically I understand it, mathematically I understand that it can, can do it, but until you're ready to do it, do you really believe? This is the type of things in, that we want with Jesus. Am I ready to put my entire life on him? In him? Not just believe he existed. Not believe that he was born, on, born of a virgin. Not believe that he died for my sins. And not believe that he rose up from the good. But am I willing to say, I believe it so much that I'm going to put my whole life in doing what he wants and how he wants it done. This is the belief that makes us saved. Not just I believe in existence, but I believe so much that I'm going to put all my life in it. This is what I've said many times. Every word in this book is true. If it's not, I might as well throw the book away because it's worthless. If any part of the Bible is not true, I can't trust any of it. And there's a lot of, lot of people who, who make fun at that statement, but you know what? It has to be true. I'm betting eternity that this book is right. 
I'm betting on my eternity that this book is right. And if it's wrong, I'm in trouble. I have never found it wrong in anything I can prove. Everything I can check, I can see is true. It matches scientifically. It matches historically. It matches archaeologically. Because it matches in all those areas, I'm absolutely con uh, convinced that I can count on it for eternity. The unity of the Bible tells me that it's true. And I've shared this with you. If you've ever gone to school and you, you can read two books by the same professor <laughs> and find contradictions in their book. Okay, and that's the same professor. And then try to grab books from other professors on the same topic and you're going to find such divergent pictures and that's what we would expect. And yet in the Bible we see unity. We see no contradictions. There's a few that people will say, well, there's a contradiction, and the answers are real simple when you explain them. You know, they'll point out, you know, one time, you know, Jesus healed ten uh, uh, multiple demoniacs, and the other time he only talks of one. Well, we do that all the time from different stories. You know, if you had exactly the same, exactly word for word, the same information from two witnesses on the stand, what would end up happening? The lawyer would say, uh, you guys have gotten together and gotten your stories you know, matched up. Because none of us will match a story exactly. One person will say, well, there were five, you know, there were five people and they only talked about the five people that got talked to. There might have been a hundred people, but you only talked to five, so you only talk, you only talk about the five. So we want to be able to be able to look at these things and say, logically, are they, are they a problem? And there's answers for any other contradiction. If you get, if somebody ever throws a real contradiction at you and you don't know the answer, you can look it up yourself or you even talk to me. I know the answers to the contradictions. <laughs> I've studied them. And if not, we'll find them. Because there's simple answers to all of those supposed contradictions. And some are just because people don't want to look. But you know, one thing a lot of people will tell you, well, the Bible's full of inaccuracies and errors. My challenge for them, tell me one. Tell me one. And here's their answer. Oh, I've been told there's lots of them. Ah, don't. Not what you've been told, but tell me one, which puts them in the Bible. Anybody who gets into the Bible to look for the errors will find the truth. And it's an amazing thing. There's been most of the people who are the greatest apologists, and apologists is one who's able to give a defense for the, for the Bible, or for, give a defense, but in our case for the Bible. Our greatest apologists started out with the idea that they were going to disprove the Bible and Christianity, and all this God stuff. Everybody who's tried it with an honest, searching heart gets saved and becomes a great apologist because they find out that it's true. That puts us in a very strong place. The Bible is not afraid. The truth is not afraid of being examined. Lies are always afraid of being examined. And we all know that for a fact. The, you know, all of us have told lies, and you know, we don't want people to examine our lie. They might just find out that we were. <laughs> but isn't it true that when you tell the truth, you're not worried about somebody going in and checking it out? Because what are they going to find out? They're going to find out you told the truth. <laughs> so it's not a problem. The Bible and Christianity is not opposed to being examined. Because it's true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He's willing to say, check it out. 
When Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room and, and Thomas wasn't there the first time, he says, I'm not going to believe until I see. And then Jesus appeared the, the second time and said, Thomas, I'm here, see? A lot of people say that Thomas ran up there and, and you know, actually put his fingers in his, you know, and no, it just says he saw and he immediately <laughs> was convicted. Now, I don't make a lot of fun of Thomas. I really don't because I'm an analytical person. I would have been the Thomas in the group of Jesus' disciples. I would have been. That's just me. Okay, I need to see. I need proof. I've studied the scriptures. I've, I've proven the scriptures. They're not pure faith to me. Now, do we, can we get to the place where it's 100% proven? No. You're going to have a small amount of faith. But the amount of faith to believe God's word and in him is not jumping into the Grand Canyon and hoping that you're going to be able to j jump over. It's more like crossing over a little ditch. You know, uh, there's just a small, just a little bit of a jump, not a, not a major one. God is not expecting us to walk off a cliff and say, you know, say I can fly. He says, I've got this proof. And we hide in that proof. We stay in that proof. We believe that truth. When we truly believe that he is the one in control, we're in the ark floating above the problems. <laughs> Maybe being bounced around by the waves. And... Maybe even getting a little seasick from it, but he is in charge. He is in control. And it makes it a lot easier when you believe that to go through the problems. Because I'm hiding in him. The scriptures are full of verses that say, hide in him, take refuge in him. He's our strong tower. He's our refuge. He's our, he's our strength. He's our buckler. He's our shield. Take your pick. <laughs> over and over again, he says, I'm your protection. Hide in me. Ephesians tells us to take on the full armor of God. And if you look at Ephesians, and, and we did recently, on the full armor of God, every piece of the armor is Jesus. He's the breastplate of righteousness. He's the helmet of truth. He's uh, the girdle of truth, the helmet of salvation. He's the shield of faith. He's the, the, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel. Every bit of the armor is Jesus, so he's again telling us in the New Testament, hide in him. <laughs> he's our protection. The times we get in trouble is when we decide, uh, God, I don't need you. I can take care of this. Don't do that. <laughs> You've probably been there many times in your life. When you do that, you get beat up. The problems will take us apart. But you know what? Even when we do that, God says it works for good. Because he doesn't say, only the things I tell you to do work for good. The scripture says, all things work together for good. Even if I cause them, God will use them to teach me and show goodness. And a lot of people think, well, gee, God, I, did, I caused all these problems. Why, you know, I, I can't ask you to help me. No, we still, God wants to help us. How many of us would look at our kids and say, well, you caused all your problems and you want help now, so go away, I'm not helping you. <laughs> now, we may want to do that. <laughs> we may tell you, I told you so, as we're helping them. <laughs> but we're going to help them, aren't we? You know, we're not, when they're truly wanting help, we're ready to help them. The question is, not all the time are they really looking for help. Oftentimes, they're looking at just escaping the consequences for what they've done. And that's not looking for help. Many people, and I, I see them all day long, five days a week, 
They're not, they're not sorry they did something wrong. They're sorry they got caught. Uh, and they always blame somebody else. Always. Well, I shouldn't say always. Almost all of them are blaming somebody else. A handful are going, well, I got what I deserved, and God's gotten hold of me, and he's teaching me. And that's good, as long as it's true and not just what, telling you what you want to hear. But God says when we're ready for help, his hand is right there to bring us back in. This is his grace. And we've talked about grace so many times. We don't fully understand God's grace. His grace is so big. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so many times I've had people say, well, they don't deserve the grace. And they go, and I'll go, you're absolutely right. They don't deserve grace. But neither do I. I don't deserve God's grace. Because if we deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. If we deserved God's grace, it would not be grace because it would be something that we earned. And he's ready to hand, pour out his grace on us. It is grace that we can even get saved in the first place. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. God sent the Son to die for us. That's grace. That's his grace that comes down and says, I want you to come to me. And when you come to me, I am going to give you everything. We become the sons and daughters of God. And do you realize that makes us equal to Jesus in God's eyes? Think about that for a moment. In God's eyes, because we are made adopted children, joint heirs with Christ, we are equal with Christ in God's eyes as far as heaven's concerned. Doesn't mean that we're God or anything, but it just means that we have access to everything that Jesus has access to in heaven. Everything. The entire riches of God are, at, are, are given to us. And yet we live in such a way as we have nothing. I have no power. I have nothing. What has God challenged you to do in your life? This last week, God gave me a very big challenge as, as he talked to me about something I was teaching the, about last week. And he kind of came to me and go, do you believe it? And he put a challenge in front of me. I'm not the only one that gets that from people. From God. What is God challenging you that you really don't want to do? I don't know what it is. But if you're his child, he's challenging you to do something that is outside of your comfort zone. It could be sharing the gospel with somebody. It could be putting more of your finances toward God. It could be putting more of your time toward him. It could be go talk to your, go talk to your relatives that you're afraid to go talk to about the gospel. I don't know what it is. And there's a hundred other areas it could be that God is talking to you and saying, how are you, what are you going to do? Where is he taking you out of your comfort zone? Where is he asking you to take a step of faith to do? God is going to be there. He's going to take care of it. If he's asking you to do it, it'll be something that is to your benefit. Even if it's totally scary. Even if it's something that says, oh, no, God, I can't do that. I've seen it for some people that it was simply to step forward and be a Sunday school teacher or a Bible study teacher. And they go, ah, I can't do that. <laughs> and then they take that step. 
I don't know what that stuff is, but I want to challenge you today. What is God challenging you to do? What is that step he's asking you to do that you don't feel comfortable with? Talk to him and say, God, I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to let you be in charge. It'll totally change your life. And then once you get used to that one, he'll give you something else. <laughs> okay. God is not going to let us stay, stay, stay stagnant. He's going to keep moving us along. And when you make that step, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be challenges. You know, when somebody decides, I'm going to, God, I haven't been tithing my money. I'm going to tithe. The first time that check comes in that they're supposed to tithe on, there's going to be bills in the way that says, do I trust God? Am I actually going to give him what I told him I'm going to give or am I going to back off? God, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to approach this relative or this my friend that I haven't shared the gospel with. And the first time you come meet them, they're going to be, you're either going to be upset or having a hard time or they're going to be having a hard time. And it's going to be very hard to take that step to talk to them. Life is not easy when we step out with God, but when we get through it, we look back and say it was easy. Through it all, we see that Jesus and God is faithful. When we, when we step out in the challenge, we see that he is faithful. Noah brought all these animals in this boat, <laughs> and they were there for one year and ten days in that boat before they finally got out. A year and ten days in a floating zoo. <laughs> wondering, probably after a year, they were probably wondering, is this water ever going to go away? You know, God, uh, all I see is water. And a little bit before that year and ten days, they, they, it hit ground and got stuck. Couldn't see it, but it, it got stuck. And the water kept moving away kept moving away and eventually they were able to get out onto dry land and God's going to have a promise for them at, at that point as well but God protects us it will look like everything is totally wrong there's no no hope but there's always hope because God's in charge keep that in mind to me one of the greatest doctrines in there is that God is sovereign and he knows everything that's going to happen okay God is made a promise. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, There is no temptation overtaken us, but such it is common to man that God is faithful, who will not tempt us above which we are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. Everything we go through, number one, is common. Other people have had it happen. <laughs> okay? Satan's lied to you. You're the only one that's ever had this happen to you. You're so terrible. Look how bad you are. You're the only one. The promise in 1 Corinthians, everything is common. If you don't like 1 Corinthians, go to Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. All right? So take your pick. Either way, nothing's new. You aren't the first person that's ever been tempted, or you're not the first person who's ever been in that situation. You're not the first person who's had to deal with it. Hundreds, thousands, millions, maybe even billions in, in the history have gone through whatever you're going through. Maybe even billions going through what you're going through now. God is there. He was ready to prepare a way to escape. All we do is hide in him. And we escape it. 
may have to float around until we bump into the mountain and get stuck at the mountain until the waters flow away, but we are hiding in him. He is in charge. Nothing happens that God does not know about. Great, the great example is in Job when, when Satan goes before God and says, you know, God says, you know, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> you realize that God still does that? Have you considered my servant and put your name in there? Once God does that in heaven with Satan, guess what? <laughs> Something's happening. Probably not as bad as Job's <laughs> for most of us. But something's going to happen in your life. To say, do I trust God? Do I truly trust God? Whenever we go for a step forward, it's going to be, do you trust me? What have you learned? What am I, what am I teaching you, God says? And then he's going to test it. Do you trust him? Do you believe? And as I say in the Truth Project with Del Tackett, do you, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Okay? Very important for us. When we learn that God is sovereign, do we believe that he is sovereign? When we learn about him being sovereign, he's going to test us. He's going to do something that seems like he's out of control. When we look at it in our, in our, with our eyes, we're going to go, oh, God, I don't understand. You, you, know, you just lost control, God. <laughs> Nothing could be this bad if you were in control. And God said, are you going to still trust me and see that he's in control? And I've been there. I've said it many times. God, I don't understand how this can be for good, but you said it is, so I'm going to believe it. I don't understand it. And there's nothing really wrong with going to God and saying, God, I don't understand. God, it sure seems like you've lost control, but I know you're in control, so I'm just going to rest in that. God, I don't know how this can be for good, but you said it is, so I'm going to rest in that. Everything comes down to our faith rest. Are we by faith going to rest in what God promises us? Even when it looks like all hell's breaking loose against us and God has lost control of the whole situation, we rest in God's truth. God is in control. Nothing that he has not allowed to happen will happen to us. And what's the best thing he can do? He can take us home. You know, but as humans, that's not what we look at as death, do we? We don't look as death as uh, being a good thing. If you're a Christian, death is the best thing that can happen to you. You no longer have to deal with all the garbage and sin and, and stuff in this world. Having said that, we don't want you to go out and hurry up your death. Okay, God will take you when he's ready. <laughs> but it's still the greatest thing that he can do for you. When I was in high school, I used to tell people the worst thing they could do to me is almost kill me. Which really made them look and like, are you or not? And I go, no, if you kill me, I get to go to heaven. So... Uh, if you almost kill me, I have to go through the pain and, and continue with this life. <laughs> but do we truly believe that? I do. I do. I believe that God is completely in charge, which makes life pretty easy to go through in most cases. Doesn't mean I don't get confused. <laughs> Doesn't mean I can't understand. I can see how God's going to make it happen. But the one thing I have learned over the years Everything he does in my life is for my good. Sometimes it may be just to teach me a lesson. Maybe it's just to make sure that I understand that I believe that he's true. Might also be somebody watching your life. And that's happened in my life too, where, some, where I've gone through something that was not good for me, but somebody looked at it and said, 
that gave me encouragement. It built my faith to watch you. Now, will we hear most of the people tell us that? No, not until we get to heaven. I believe in heaven. When we get to heaven, we're going to have so many people come up. I'm here because you did <laughs> this. You lived very faithfully through this trial, and I watched you. What a pleasure that will be to hear in heaven. Even when you didn't open your mouth and talk, <laughs> somebody watched you and saw your life before Christ, and it encouraged them. How much faith do we have in God? How much trust do we have in Him? Are we willing to hide in Him and let, us, let Him help us float through the problems? Being bounced around a bit, having to work in the ark. The inside the ark was not a piece of cake. You didn't just have to... There was work to do in the ark. Strenuous work at times, probably. But they were protected. They were kept. We need to be able to say, I have enough faith that God is in control that I'm going to trust him. If we don't trust him, we've got a problem. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you are our protection. You are a person that we can trust in, that you care about us. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that needs that, I'm going to ask right now that they will just pray a simple prayer. Lord, help me to have more trust in you. Help me to step out in faith rest in what you would have me to do. And I ask God that you challenge me in what you would have me to do. Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to know you as their Lord and Savior, either here or even listening on, that, Lord, you will convict them of their sin, that they deserve punishment, that you died for their sins so that they could have heaven, and that it's a gift, and that they will truly put all of their trust and faith in you. And, Lord, if there's anybody that's done that, that they will contact myself, if they're here personally, if they're on the Internet, through the email. And we just thank you for all of this in your son's precious name. Amen.